Welcome to the King's Table. Welcome to the King's Table, a podcast of Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio. The King's Table exists to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. From the altar table to the dinner table, the conference table to the pool table, because Jesus is Lord over all. Hey guys, welcome back to the King's Table. My name is Jeff. I'm a pastor here at Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio, the Dayton, Ohio. Joined here by my co-pastors, Pastor Russ. That's me. And Pastor Matt. Yep. What are we talking Great about Great intros as always. Matt is a yup or what's up? What's up? <laughs> might as well have, matter, might as well have chat what I show. say. You're just going to make fun of it. It's true. Today, we are going to jump into not your regularly scheduled programming. We're going to talk about church discipline. When I was a kid at my dad's church, I think I was like seven, six and there was this kid in the nursery. We used to go to the nursery afterwards and wrestle because the carpet was really thick. So we're in there wrestling and, wrestling. and he says, yeah, he says, my dad could beat up your dad. And I said, no, no, my dad could beat up your dad. And he came back with a, no, my dad could beat up your dad. And his dad was pretty tough dude. And I said, yeah, well, my dad could kick your dad out of the church. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, yeah. he shut up. <laughs> So that's, we're going to talk about kicking people out of the church. That's a heck of a bumper sticker. It, exactly. My dad can kick you out of the church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get that bumper sticker made for all my well, kids. Well, then there's like this. Uh, we should also get one that says, my father could send you to hell. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, yeah. so repent. <laughs> With a big rainbow on it. Yes. My father can send you to hell. Repent. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Pride Month. Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your intro there, Russ. Pride Month will be over by the time this comes out. That's true. But I heard that there's going to be a summer of pride. Summer of pride. Or a long, long, long fall. Yeah, we want to tackle church discipline today as we think about uh, some other stuff going on in culture. And as relates to membership and church, there's a lot going on. One of the challenges that we've had as a church is that we often get levied this accusation that we have, quote unquote, so many church discipline cases. How do you guys feel about that accusation? Like a badge of honor? <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I mean, there's the, definitely the uh, company with that is sorrow and grief that people walk in disobedience. Um, and there's a giving them over, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to Satan so they can taste death. But. I think any church but, worth it. But you leading that way is exactly what I wanted to kind of draw out because what gets levied at us is that because that, that accusation is that church discipline is bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There's an assumption in there that it might be okay, but why, why do you have so many? Right. Right. And so because of that, that emphasis that happens, it's an accusation out the gate that church discipline is bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then it puts us on the defensive when we're not the ones with the burden of proof. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and the other issue, too, is that, um, like, what's the standard? Exactly. I mean, so what's so many, quote unquote, to you? Mm-hmm. One? one? One a year? One a decade. One a decade? One every two decades? I mean, what? and what's the standard? I mean, uh, go to the scriptures and show. So... Even that statement is just—it's just an ignorant statement. Yeah. Because uh, what's your operational state? You are revealing that you have some sort of standard, of which there is not a standard on the frequency from the scriptures. So just to make that statement is to reveal your ignorance to the scriptures. That's why I think this topic is so important because to, for someone to ask the question that way, because we're not saying don't ask these questions, right? But to ask it in that way with those assumptions reveals much more on your side than it does on what you think you're exposing with us, mm-hmm. right? 
So that, that's why we want to tackle this is because we, we do have a, a good handful of church discipline cases that have gone all the way through excommunication. Um, but as we'll talk about, too, we have a lot more that you don't know about. <laughs> right. And you shouldn't. Right. That's the nature of church discipline done rightly. Um, and so we'll talk, we want to talk about what that is, but there is this perception that because we practice church discipline and then we actually practice it, <laughs> I'll just say it. Not just in word, it, but yeah. in deed. Yeah. There's this, there's this just manifold spectrum of what all, all the different component parts. And that's, that's what we want to break down today. So without exploring that, cause we'll touch on pieces of that as we go through to explain, let's go ahead and just kind of, we just want to set the record straight. Um, we teach about church discipline in our membership material. We have uh, other resources that people could check out on this, but in regards to an accusation like that and what we're trying to accomplish and do, we just want to kind of set the record straight. So first question I think would be, why do we practice church discipline? I would say very easily, because the Bible tells me so. Yeah, same thing. That <laughs> There's song a came kid to my mind. song. <laughs> well, the just, Bible tells me so. My liturgy is my orthopraxy. Like the Bible tells me so. That's why. And then there's this other piece that I've been kind of unpacking that I wanted to float by you guys. Um, for one, we've talked about this before on King's Table, Cold Pizza. We've talked about it a lot lately, and that we actually do what we say we believe. Like mm-hmm. we practice these things that we say we believe. And we unpacked before of this idea of being reformed, but essentially in name only. People don't really know what they mean when they say that they're a reformed church or they have a reformed faith. Um, And we've gone to some great lengths to show how we believe that it affects everything. We did that in our historical um, uh, history distinctive. So inside of that what i have found as i've thought about that some more some are talking is that i feel like in conversations that i've had particularly with like university students um and, and young families is that we say or find out at some point do you did you read grudem do you know grudem mm-hmm. and they're enthusiastic but yes yes right their eyes light up and this is like the impetus of their reformed faith or at least their it's reformed like soteriology calvin's, calvin's institutes for them <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so again though i I think either we find that people didn't do their homework or, you know, you don't really believe what you say you believe. So to kind of kick us off for that, what do you guys, have you seen that kind of be the test case or are there other litmus tests that you can think of? Yeah, I let me let me say one more thing on the why do we practice church discipline. We practice church discipline because we believe in the holiness of God and the expectation of that upon his people. That's like so. That uh, that's that's the Bible says, and and there we go. Now back to your litmus test, the uh, or this. Um, uh, I remember early on one of my friends telling me we were talking about being reformed, and 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 he's like, I man, I don't, I don't know that you're actually reformed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I I'm like, I was kind of taken back, you know. But at that point, and I think this characterizes much of the reformedish movement of the past 20 years is um what that means is i just believe that god chooses whom will be saved mm-hmm. so you're uh, a high view of god's sovereignty as it relates to um yeah, soteriology, yeah, reformed soteriology so so your your doctrine of salvation but there's way way more to being reformed than that and but i think the the calvinists or the reformed of the past 20 years are are limited when they say reformed that's just really simply what they mean not just in their atonement <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's lost on me you said limited they're limited limited atonement oh okay hey, yeah i got you that was free i just didn't think it was funny <laughs> <laughs> i often get rusty's jokes i just don't think they're funny <laughs> sorry brother. it's not for you it's for me i don't care I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very true statement Oh man. So yes, I think I think the the Grudem test and what they really means is they just read whatever chapter was on the atonement. Yeah. So one of the kind of things that made that really clear for me is as I was exploring some of the church discipline stuff that he writes about uh in the ecclesiology section. He talks about the power of the church. So we're not talking about like uh function and roles of the church so we're not talking about its liturgy its sacraments those type things but we're talking about the power that it has so we may define the power of the church as follows 
The power of the church is its God-given authority to carry on spiritual warfare, proclaim the gospel, and exercise church discipline. Like when you think about what the church has power, authority, you know, to speak into, to execute, those types of things, those that's that's not what I usually hear from people. All right, I hear the middle one, proclaim the gospel. Yeah. yeah. You think about spiritual warfare, like that's what we've been, you know, feeding our church since we were in Joshua. We're like, hey guys, we're in a lot. There's a lot more going on here, mm-hmm. um, and and we've been, been hitting that drum for a long time. But then proclaim the gospel, absolutely, not exclusively. <laughs> it's an exclusive yeah, gospel, just. but that's not the only power. That's, right? that's the only thing we do. And then to exercise church discipline. And he says this, and, and to me, this sets the tone of particularly who we are as a culture, um, but then as we, we encounter other pastors even, uh, but certainly other believers, and then, of course, the lost he says this, when we consider this spiritual power in a broad sense, he's primarily starting with spiritual warfare, uh, but he, he blends the three together. Uh, he says, when we consider this spiritual power in a broad sense, it certainly includes the power of the gospel to break through sin and harden opposition and to awaken faith in the hearts of unbelievers. Absolutely. Romans, James, First Peter. But this power also includes spiritual power that will render demonic opposition to the gospel ineffective. He goes on to give examples of Herod and and Pilate and others. But then he says, yet Paul realizes that he can use this same spiritual power not only against those outside the church who oppose the gospel, but also against those within the church who are active opponents of his apostolic ministry. Mm. That gives us books like Jude, (laughs) Mm. right? And it helps us understand that, hey, in 1 Corinthians, and we start to see, whoa, um, he's taking aim not just at the powers and principalities of the air, right? He's taking aim at those within the church. Mm-hmm. So when we think about church discipline and why we practice it and a well-rounded, reformed understanding of this, uh, we want to recognize that, yeah, we're not just, really, we, we don't judge those outside the church. We're supposed to judge those inside the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones over who we have authority. They're the ones over who claim the name of Christ, so that's that's a lot of background for where we kind of pull from. So the question then is, is all right, practically, functionally, you have so many quote-unquote church discipline cases. When do we practice church discipline? Yeah, I would say, uh, first of all, we practice church discipline on unrepentant sin. Uh, so it's not just on sin, but on unrepentant sin. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I would want to... Uh, like when we think about church discipline, there is certainly going to be informal church discipline and formal church discipline. So if a church is godly in having what we would call informal church discipline, they should have lots and lots and lots of cases as well. Because informal church discipline would just be simply, hey, brother, are, are you struggling with this sin? And that's let's, what I meant. Let's cast it off and walk in repentance. That's what I meant at the top is that we have a lot more cases than you realize. <laughs> yeah. Like, those things happen all the time. <laughs> that's right. What do you have so many? Oh, well, you don't even know the you half, know the of, half it. of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because uh, yeah, people are taking Matthew 18, the whole thing, seriously. Yeah. So they're starting with going to their brother, right? After they've checked their own heart uh, in accordance with the scriptures, they're going. And if they're mistaken, then awesome. If there's repentance, then praise God. Like you're doing that yep. all the time. I, yep. I do that all the time in my marriage, right? Yep. That should be happening all the time. But the reason that um, you find churches that don't uh, don't take it seriously, I think, in taking it all the way um, to the end of excommunication, is they're not doing it in the beginning at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and Lord willing, the church that's doing more on the informal side will have less on the formal yeah. side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, what, so what do you mean so specifically with unrepentant? Meaning there's legitimate, clearly, biblically defined sin. Uh, that And it's when I say clearly, biblically defined sin, it's not uh, you breaking my law, but you're breaking God's law. So you, it's not it's not you didn't meet my preference, mm-hmm. but you broke God's law. It's not you made me feel this way, or not feel this way, but you broke God's law. Mm-hmm. So you got bro- you you broke God's law, 
and there is witnesses to your breaking God's law. Right? Yep. So if you then are unrepentant of that, uh, then we walk out the rest of church discipline, calling you to repentance, and then at the end of it, giving you over in hopes that you would see the end of your disastrous choice and your see the result of your lack of faith, and that you would then hopefully turn in repentance and be restored mm-hmm. before the day of salvation is upon you, right? Before it's too late, before the door to the ark is closed. Yeah. It's the taste of death. Yeah. So it's to give you the taste of death so you don't have to swallow all of death itself. Mm-hmm. That's right. So when do we practice that? That would be the uh, how I would answer that question. It's in the same vein as how we discipline our children. You know, there's um, the consequence of the spanking or whatever, whatever the consequence that you've set up. But there's always instruction. There's always an informal discipline happening. And I was thinking about earlier, Russ, when you were like, why so many discipline cases? And in the same way uh, with our children, you could look at my household and be like, you discipline your kids all the time. You have to understand... The, the fullness of what discipline looks like, mm-hmm. both like in, 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 in using that analogy of an informal and formal type of a way. I'm not always um, spanking my kids or giving them the full consequence, but there's always a disciplining and instructing and in, in, in righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Matt, you said earlier, I know we'll get to this, uh, but we're putting this up front because when it, because when it comes to church discipline, um, you know, I've seen so many Christians air quotes, uh, bulk at the, you know, the clutch their pearls at the idea of church discipline. Um, Matt had a, tr- uh, a, a conversation with a church planter or a, um, I think it was a church planter um, not too long ago. And uh, he was like, so what do you think about this church discipline stuff? And you're like, <laughs> it's good. I think a speaker had <laughs> talked about a call to church discipline. And he's like, oh man, we don't, we don't do that. Right, like yeah, we don't. We, maybe we wouldn't let them be in like leadership. Yeah, but like we're not gonna like stand in front of the church. And, yeah, like, it was. Call it was well, the most that we do is well, we just have we just have hard conversations. Yeah, hard conversation. <laughs> like, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> that's a slap on the wrist. Is this a hard conversation? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah there's such a clutching of the pearls. But what you see is like it's for the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and um, so because we love God. We're going to give people what they actually need. We're, yes. we're, we're actually going to love people in the way God has instructed us to love them. And that's why I use the analogy of my children. Like I, I discipline my children. Why? Because I love them. Because yeah. I don't want them to and, t- and let, turn out to be little crazy banshees. And let me like kind of uh, put an inf- emphasis on uh, like that loving and define that loving. I, I was really helped in uh, Wilson's book, Standing no, 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 on no, the no. Promises. Love is love. Love is love. <laughs> love is whatever makes that person uh, feel, feel loved based on their definition, right? Exactly. That's right. Th- that's not what Wilson was saying. No. Um, but it was it was the sense of when we sin, um, we strap that burden of that sin and all of its effects onto our backs. Yeah. And this is in the context of parenting, but it's it's true in the church as well, that when we sin, we heap all of that burden and all of those consequences and all of that guilt and all of that shame on our backs. Mm-hmm. And a church that is unwilling to confront that sin via discipline, which as Hebrews tells us is always painful, yeah. if we're unwilling, then you don't actually love your people. Mm-hmm. So if you have a church where shepherds are unwilling to practice church discipline, then you have shepherds that don't actually love God's people because what they're okay with is their people heaping sin and all of its consequences, its guilt and its shame on their backs and walking around uh, dealing with that and carrying all that their whole lives while while supposedly telling them, oh, you know, the gospel, Jesus loves you and died on the cross for you. While telling them to go walk in freedom. Yes. Right. You you charlatan. Like, yeah. Yeah. That is that like is they, enormous. They cannot. Hebrews is saying that if you're not disciplined, you're not a son. Yeah. Right. So if I have a pastor who's unwilling to discipline me, let alone anybody, you're telling me that none of us are sons. Yeah. yeah. You remember in Pilgrim's Progress when they walk in disobedience and they have to receive lashes for it? Yeah. Right? And they, they embrace it and they understand it. And the emphasis there is 
what a loving master we have mm-hmm. that would discipline us in this way to keep us on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, because he doesn't just say go walk and go walk in freedom mm-hmm. while not telling them how to be rid of their heavy burden. Yeah. Uh, and disciplining them. And you know, you have pastors that um, then begin to just accommodate their people because they really don't care. They don't want to be bothered with uh, discipline because as Hebrew says, it's not pleasant. It's not easy. It's not fun. We, we, don't, we don't get like some thrill out of this, right? It's hard, painstaking work. Um, and it, it's the same, again, as, as the analogy to, uh, to be used towards your kids. This morning at 6.50, having to spank my three-year-old when I'm like, man, this is real early to have to get him spanking, you know, it's just, <laughs> and, but what I was reminded of in that moment was, um, I can let my kids go on and uh, reap the negative consequences of their sin and their wildness and the burden that they're carrying, or I can deal with it quickly and effectively. Um, and, and we can move on in freedom mm-hmm. and that's what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was a visible restore the relationship. Yeah. There was a visible physical softness in him. And uh, I had to leave, you know, for work within the hour and he was, he was close to me. He was, his heart was soft you know, he was he was um, reconciled with his daddy mm-hmm. uh, because of that. So, yeah. So we'll talk some more about kind of our perception of the uh, the culture at large and other churches in a little bit. But when we think about the way that that we're tackling it, it's because of that right love, uh, because we also know that we'll be held accountable for how we loved, <laughs> right? And particularly mm-hmm. as shepherds, right? So it's not just Hebrews twelve, but Hebrews thirteen, seventeen for us, and so. When we think about church discipline for us, there are three purposes for church discipline. These are from Grudem as well. Um, we have other resources that we use. Jonathan Lehman has a, a fantastic book on that as well. But from from Grudem, we'll just borrow these three. These are really what we're after when we think about the purposes of church discipline for us. And, and I think number one is not necessarily the most important, but it does show specifically the motives and intentions uh, and the heart behind what we're after. And that's a reconciliation and restoration. Now, f- first of all, a disclaimer, it's important to recognize that those are two distinct things. They're not yes. one and the same. Yeah. One does precede the other. Um, we are commanded in Scripture to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Restoration is not necessarily always going to happen. Yeah, so all restoration will include reconciliation, but not all reconciliation includes a full restoration mm-hmm. at, yep. at least until the yep. day. Yeah. yeah. It's not always right. possible until the mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Yeah. So like a, a husband who has sinned against his wife, uh, say like adultery and they get a divorce, they can be reconciled without being restored relationally. So yeah. meaning they, uh, um, they may not ever get mar- remarried or, um, such. So they wouldn't be restored in that sense, but they, the sin, and the granting of forgiveness can happen, which is mm-hmm. uh, what what we're getting at in reconciliation. It's commanded. Yeah. Yeah, it now, should happen. Now, question. If we don't engage in church, church discipline, how are we handling that command to be reconciled all the time? Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. How, how do you go about reconciliation where there's no discipline involved? What does justice look like in that case for those that would hold justice so highly? Right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's good. Just, just yeah. saying. Yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I've got some lovely spark plug right now. Um, but uh, what do you do with that, right? I mean, if you don't press through with church discipline, you have no room for justice in your church. Mm-hmm. You have no room for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You just simply forgive without forgiving because I don't think they actually forgive if there's no justice. If it's yeah. not born on somebody, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then it just becomes the wild, wild west with everyone's emotions and manipulations and shamings. That's where I'm going. Yep. Yeah. So yep. the target is always moving. Yeah, goalposts always shifting. Yep. Yeah. So that aside, reconciliation and restoration, we're after f- fixing those relationships. We're after rescuing that person. Mm-hmm. If it is someone who's in unrepentant sin, they are going headlong into death, right? Let's mm-hmm. go back to the purpose, the power of the church, right? Spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. you're on the other side, right? So mm-hmm. you know, Star Wars, we're trying to pull you back from the dark side, right? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. So this reconciliation and restoration as the purpose, 
for church discipline helps remind everyone, both the laity and the elders, that there's a covenant relationship at stake. And I think the covenant relationship at stake aspect should change the way people think about church discipline. What do you think? Well, yeah, I was going to say we need to spend a long time talking about what covenant relationship actually looks like because you can't have real church discipline if you don't have real covenant relationship. Well, and that's what he was describing in the marriage. That's a covenant relationship. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so you see the you see the um the disintegration of that, you see the rotting away of that that the culture has pushed and the church has swallowed. And so there is no there is no commitment to marriage. There's no right. fault divorce for churches. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> except so, it's your still your fault, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> and that's there's I think there's many that's reasons. Right. So I I, I mean right. I pose this question uh, to the table here. Like I think one of the reasons that uh, one of the reasons for that is is the highly individualistic culture in which we live. The very because then there's a no-fault divorce and then there's irreconcilable differences. <laughs> right. That's what they have with us, right? That's we true. We can yeah. agree to disagree. So yeah. for a culture that's emphasized the individual and for a church culture that's emphasized my personal relationship with Jesus above all the things, I saw a comment on Twitter recently in response to um, somebody's tweet about the importance of the local church and in this very realm of accountability and community. They were like, nobody, nobody's gonna, no church is gonna tell me how to handle my personal relationship with Jesus, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and there's some argument about you know, organized religion and blah blah blah. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons that we've seen uh, such like of a disintegration of the covenant language, which then obviously then there's no teeth to your discipline. Mm-hmm. If there isn't a covenant seriously taken, there can't be. No, not at all. I, because have, there's no breach. Right. Exactly. Do you have any other reasons but why that doesn't that doesn't reflect reality? There is a breach. No, there is a breach. Exactly. Whether you say there is or not, I think that's one reason. You have any other thoughts on why we're why we don't take our covenant community so seriously? I think the covenant component is because it it not only is is difficult, but it costs everything. Yeah. Like you're signing over ownership. So to your whole individualism, it's not just. I want to express myself is that I don't want to yield to anything else. Mm. Uh, that aspect of authority is is absolutely all over our our culture. Which people, yeah, which people are fine with if you have certain rules uh, about how you're supposed to conduct yourself at the gym. Yeah. Right, you go to Planet Fitness and there's all this crap up on the walls about yeah. you know you belong and don't be a lunk and and everybody goes and wipes down the equipment because you're supposed to do like that's the rules. I don't. My no Matt doesn't. Ugh. Um, I do because I sweat really bad. Um, but you know, my point is that people will be fine with following the rules. You know, Christian people are fine with following certain rules of organizations that they're a part of. In um, in Sinclair Ferguson's book about the local church, he gives a Rotary clubs uh, requirements for being a part of it, like nationwide, and they're like really strict rules. And it basically looks like a fairly robust covenant. <laughs> Dude, my business networking group, my uh, it's called BNI. Yeah, like. M- People in our church would be kicked out inside of a month. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's okay, but because that's not dealing—that's not dealing with uh, the souls of people. That well, is not that, dealing yeah, with my idols personal and sins. Relationship with some god that I've made up in my head. Most of those people are giving more money to BNI to be a part of it than they are tithing here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to do with matters of the soul. It doesn't have to do with sin. So you mm-hmm. start stepping into that realm, and that's where people say, oh, "Whoa, hang on a second. Yeah, I'm happy to follow the rules that I pay for at some gym, mm-hmm. you know, or club I'm a part of, but don't start telling me what looks uh, and does not look like a Christian." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So reconciliation, restoration, those are the big ones. And then up next would be to keep the sin from spreading to others. So. Uh, unlike Matt, you, know, you should wipe down your bench you should. unless you're trying to pass ringworm. That's, that's other gross. Stuff. Uh, <laughs> Matt's just always hitting those squats, though. That's true. Yeah. Getting those squats. That's just right, man. Wipe the bar down. That's right. Yeah, so to keep sin from spreading to others, so, I mean, uh, there are manifold passages here, but the idea that we usually use is the picture of the yeast spreading. Yeah. Uh, a little yeast leavens the whole lump. And so for those of us who are elders, our, our charge is to watch over the flock, right? And we want to make sure that this doesn't spread from animal to animal to animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that most typically happens in the form of gossip uh, when it regards sin of people. But we're also talking about the actual specific sin of whatever that person was. Yeah. So uh, for, for Paul and First Corinthians 5, 
uh, to not call out the issue of sex with his stepmother, right, is to do two things. It's to say, hey, you all, let's take care of this. Get him out. He should never be here. Even the pagans would would know better. Um, we and would have done that. that now. It's true. Gross, but true. Um, <laughs> I mean, Paul. If Paul was writing that today. He'd say, you know, the pagans used to know what's better. <laughs> used to know better. Yeah. <laughs> So it's to protect the church's name in that sense, but also to not affirm that behavior so that other people might be like, well, you know, Frank did it. So so I guess I can do it. And he didn't get any Frank. He didn't get any repercussions for That's that. That's right, yeah. So I can get it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the discipline this morning to my three-year-old was a warning to my other son, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I better be on, on my best behavior here. Whenever right? I warn the whole crew in, in the McBee household, I'm always sitting there thinking – all right, who's going to be the first example? Yeah, exactly. I can usually tell you which one based on what the warning was, which will be the first one to succumb. <laughs> and then that one will get a spanking, and then no one You're else will step out of line. Are ready to roll? It's pretty clear. The point, though, arrest again, yet again, another example of people don't understand the nature of community. Covenant relationship. Right, covenant yeah. relationship, because what I do doesn't just affect me. Mm-hmm. It affects my yep. wife, it affects my children, it affects my neighbors, it affects my right, it affects my church family. It 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 cannot be exclusively just to myself. Um, it's gonna affect other people. It grows, poison spreads, sin's never satisfied. Right. It's gonna affect them. You know, I think a lot of not every person, but I've noticed a lot of people they have at least in their mind a category that this affects yeah. the people around me. What I where I think they're particular downfall is is they assume they know the extent Hmm. or just how much right which is which is quite arrogant um Mm -hmm. to assume that you know to what extent this is going to setting yourself up in the place of god it would be like me you know doing something that might affect your children Mm -hmm. and assuming that i know what's best for your children that i know the ins and outs of your children that i know what their struggles are that i know all those things Hmm. uh Without asking you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think people have, at least a lot of people in in our context have a category that this is going to affect the church body. But they just, they assume they know how how much. Well, yeah. they just demand grace because that's what I hear from the sermon all the time. doesn't matter. Jesus did it for me. Uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, not these sermons. We don't talk about grace here. Yeah, there's a <laughs> grace list. I was going to say, which church are you talking about? Apparently not. Well, at least if you read our Google reviews. We don't talk about grace here, apparently. <laughs> it's not a safe place. Not a safe place. <laughs> not a safe place for your sin. Don't get me started. Um, you know, Paul takes, Paul takes. you know, Rusty mentioned gossip and stirring up uh, strife and divisions in the church. Um, Paul is so concerned about that, takes it so seriously. Titus 3, he says, there's some steps to be skipped from Matthew 18 uh, yeah, to get rid huge. of that person. Specifically in that line, yeah. Yeah, get rid of them. Um and so that's how seriously he takes the division the of the church um, because we're, we're called to maintain the unity that has already been given to us by the Spirit. Um, and so when somebody comes in and their sin to disrupt and isolate, and that's what, that's what sin always does. Sin always disrupts, pulls apart friends, pulls apart families and communities. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about that last Destroys. week. Destroys. Hospitality class. One of, the, um, one of the effects of a culture that has broken covenant and is walking in rebellion and sin is loneliness and isolation and friendlessness um, and the breaking up of families and relationships and community. Mm-hmm. So you see that happening in the church. And God God will not be mocked in that. Yeah. God is angered by that. So because What strikes people, me as crazy is every time we, we go to the scriptures and, and review the scriptures on this topic is how strikingly simple it is. Yeah. Like, and we're going to talk about that in a minute some more, but like... It's really easy. In the point of skipping steps that you just brought up, Titus, it says still warn them once, right? Mm-hmm. Then do this. Yeah. So there's still a warning, right? Yeah. We're not just saying, hey, you're out, crazy person. Yeah. Like There's still a warning because we're about reconciliation and restoration. Yeah. But the warning should be effective. Yeah. In the child of God, it will be. Well, my sheep yeah. hear my voice and they follow me. And if they're not, then be done with them right mm-hmm. like yeah. it's that simple yeah and just understand what like what the big deal about that is why people like well if, sh- shouldn't it take like six months or a year or two years and shouldn't you go get outside mediators and shouldn't we go get 
all these other people and voices into this thing of people who don't know the person. Yeah, yeah. No, warn them. And if they don't, they're out. That's it. Right. It's 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 really that simple. Yeah. And it's again, really and, and what we are saying, in, e- in even in excommunication, we are saying, go taste death mm-hmm. so that you will not have to taste it forever. The loneliness that you're talking about? Yeah. Um, and repent and be res- and, and um, be brought back in in forgiveness. We didn't go anywhere. Hopefully restoration. We didn't go anywhere. We're here. The mm-hmm. offer is still open. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'm with you, Matt. I'm like, I don't see, we're not saying that it's not hard. We're not stupid. Oh, yeah, I'm, not, like, I'm not saying it's not painful. It's All not painful. painful. Of course it's painful. But uh, but um, it's not that difficult. It's not that hard. Well, so, and here's where it gets hard and difficult is when people start adding arbitrary and man-made laws. Mm-hmm. Like you should have you should have taken six months to do this. Mm-hmm. But you did, you know, you did a year for so-and-so. There's no timeline given in Matthew 18. Th- yeah. And, no and, timeline. And then there's a speedier process in Titus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like... I mean, uh, is there three days have, in between the warning and the getting rid of it? Or have you ever gotten, well, you who are spiritual must restore those in a spirit of gentleness. So you weren't gentle. Again, based on what? That's my point. Biblical definition. That's my point. Of gentle. Right. I mean, based on whether or not you felt like it was gentle. Well, and often. Tell you, they will be chasing I, your tail forever. Often <laughs> in, in reflection and review as we, you know, review these cases after the fact, a lot of times we're struck by how, more length actually made it difficult for everybody. It, it, yeah. mud, it muddies the waters. I'll, t- I'll tell you this. In my um, years as a pastor, which was pushing, getting old, fellas, it's pushing 20 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> technically. Um, I regret not moving faster on most discipline cases. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah should have moved a lot faster. Yeah. And there's reasons f- you know, for why I didn't. I think most of it, not most of it. I know a couple times it was just maybe cowardice uh, on my own part, and I think that comes from not taking. So we, so we, you know, we talked about this is for people's good. Ultimately, it shows genuine, true biblical love to people. But in those times when I didn't move fast enough, I think my my cowardice was driven because I didn't ultimately want to protect the purity of the church and honor Christ above all things. That wasn't my first priority, which has to be the first priority in... Which is our third purpose. Yeah, which, which is, um, which is has to be the, the whole reason, right? If I love and honor and truly treasure Christ above all things, then I'm going to love his church and I'm going to strive for the purity of his church. Mm-hmm. And therefore, anything that comes against the purity of, of his bride, anything that defames and brings into the dirt the name of Christ... I'm going to be against. Mm-hmm. I have to be. Right? Yeah. I have to be. And um, and you and you should too, whoever that person is that I'm calling to repentance. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's where I want to go. So because our third point you, you brought up to protect the purity of the church and the honor of Christ. And, and I added a fourth one because uh, Grudem has this assumption throughout and, and we do too. It's effective. Mm-hmm. Church discipline is it effective because works. the church has the power to do it from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's going to do what it's supposed to do. It's it's effective. And and there's more on this in, in just a minute. But in, in this realm, I also want to ask the question, like, how have we seen not just the, the pain and heartbreak and difficulty of church discipline? We've talked about that. But how have we seen beauty from church discipline since we're after reconciliation and restoration? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say, um, I, don't, I don't know that this is exactly where you're wanting to go with this, but uh, that's what I do. Good examples. But but I want to, like, wha- outcomes. I want to, I, I asked this question in, it was one of, I think it was the episode on, like, preaching and, and so on. But, like, what is success? Yeah. And, and I, like, what is, because whatever success is, is going to be beautiful. If mm-hmm. that's what God has defined as success, yeah. then it's going to be beautiful. Even and I you, don't even if you think, don't think it is. And I don't think we can say that success in church discipline is is always reconciliation and restoration. Yeah, I was going to say oh, the yeah. same I, thing. No, that's, to, that part's coming. I'd be willing to say that that is an ideal, well, and yeah. that's what we're hoping for and praying for. But to say that that's what success is in church discipline, I'd say, well, then when Jesus practiced church discipline, I'm mean, using that term a little more in the informal way. Mm-hmm. When he says to the rich young man um, to go sell everything 
and he goes away sad. Well, he just did a functionally church discipline there in the mm-hmm. sense that he is calling him to repentance. And what does he do? He doesn't repent. So are we going to say in that moment that Jesus wasn't successful? Right. Well, that was a loss. Well, no. Well, yeah. So, no, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate even that moment because what was successful and what was good was that the truth of the matter was exposed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when church discipline is practiced rightly, then the truth of the matter is being exposed for that person and for the rest of the world to see, and particularly God's church. So what you're hoping for is that the person has eyes to see the truth of the matter, and if they do, they will respond. But if they're like the psalmist says, they've become like the idol they worship, having eyes but cannot see, and mouths mm-hmm. but cannot speak, and ears but cannot hear, then they will not see the truth of the matter. But I would say what is beautiful, when when, when church discipline has happened and and beauty is, is taking place, um, it's because reality is being spoken mm-hmm. and being said. And in, in, and in church discipline particularly, it's speaking the truth concerning one of the most important realities of all of our lives, and that is whether or not our walk with the Lord is legitimate mm-hmm. and judged by the fruit or the lack thereof that's coming from it. So church discipline says the fruit you got is not the fruit of repentance and faith, but the, but the fruit of the devil. Yeah, and, and so, so church discipline is exposing that reality. Yeah, you have some love for something else that is supreme. Yes, yeah. which yeah. is which is saying danger, danger, danger. You're on your way to hell. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that, that and that's grace and mercy being spoken to a person, and for them to to give the middle finger to that, for them to go down the road and just find another church that'll pat them on the back, for them to do anything but say, you know what. I, I need to repent mm-hmm. is is to further condemn themselves. Yeah, particularly because when we practice church discipline, it's not a unilateral elder thing. This is the weight of the body. The body votes on that. So you all your other covenant relationships mm-hmm. are saying, yeah, we see this. You're excommunicated. Yeah. So it's not just to the elders that you're giving the middle finger or d- dismissing. It's your brothers and sisters. The weight of the church is on you, which we'll talk about some more in a minute. Now, that distinction is what I'm after is because and it's a good one. Um, it's not – we don't put on – every time the church practices church discipline is a win. Every time it doesn't practice church discipline on something that needs it, informal or formal, that's your that's your L. Yes, that's exactly. when you get a loss category. Yeah. So we're what do, I we're, – We're doing what God has commanded us to do. Because part of what I'm getting after is there's two kinds of like – perceptive beauty for us one is when they do repent right and we gain our brother back that's to be celebrated oh absolutely for sure yeah sure but we also have seen every time that we have to excommunicate somebody that there's something to be celebrated in their absence the snake is out of the garden mm-hmm. the church is left to our point our point number three pure yeah purer yeah. at least right the honor of christ defended and so there's a sweetness that comes from having removed the yeast that was among you. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and down more to like granular stuff. Um, children are protected. You know, wives are yeah. are protected. Um, you know, uh, husbands are protected. The list goes on, right? Um, that that we're not going to idly sit by and watch evil wreak havoc. Uh, amongst the body of Christ. Um, I was going to say something and I forgot. <laughs> oh, I know what it was. It was the, uh, you, t- you asked w- some of the things that are a result, um, like, like beautiful things. One thing is people, I think, stand in fear. So the reason that we bring the church together uh, in these matters, um, even though it's hard and difficult, is because everybody is warned. And we've already touched on that a little bit. Like when we, discipline one of our kids, the other kids stand warned, right? Um, and in, in the proper fear. And so we've seen that um, with our body that people stand in, in a proper fear before the Lord. There's, a, there's a, um, a revealing of God's holiness and that we take this seriously enough to walk this out. And so there's a, a good trembling um, and fear. There's a good unity and an understanding of the holiness of God as people stand in fear 
in a proper fear. Of, it should be of this discipline. Yeah, Jude says in verse seven, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example yeah. by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Because mm-hmm. we have yeah, in membership interviews and stuff, sometimes people are like, they're essentially asking this question without asking it. How do I how do I avoid church discipline? Like, <laughs> I like this church and I want to be a part of here. But don't I know be, you guys practice that, and I'm I, I'm a little afraid of that. So how do I avoid that? Mm-hmm. First of all, like it's really simple. Don't be stupid, stupid, right? <laughs> um, do sheepy things. But that, that's what I want to speak to is like that's a that's a good fear. Yeah, that's a mm-hmm. proper motivating fear. Is that we would stand in fear of when we see elders being judged. To your to your point just a second ago, when we see whole cities condemned, right? Yeah, I did a membership interview one time, and uh, the husband looked at me and said, how far will this church go to keep me from walking in rebellion? And he gave, like, some specific um, analogies. And it was was pretty cool because they were, he had already confessed some of his sin proclivities. Mm -hmm. And how far are you willing to go to help me walk in faithfulness to my wife? How far are you willing to go to help me walk in faithfulness in my workplace and that's awesome. i was like dude <laughs> that's yeah. i've never had somebody ask me that and i yeah. said well I'll, I'll tell you how far we're willing to go and that was one of the things that um caused them to become members here because mm-hmm. they're like this church is is loves jesus enough therefore loves me enough um mm-hmm. to go to go the full nine yards if need be to yeah. keep me from wandering off into into sin and potentially into eternal damnation. Yeah, because that's because that's what's at stake. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what you preached last week, Matt. You yeah. know, um, how are you going to keep me from going into those presumptuous sins mm-hmm. yeah. and standing at the door of yeah. you know hell itself? Mm-hmm. The vestibule. The of vestibule hell. of hell. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Amen. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for helping me set the record straight. Uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, Let's briefly look at some of our perceptions of others, because this is what we feel like we're fighting against in the spiritual warfare component. So when we look at, I mean, we're a church among churches, and particularly we're Baptists, and so we don't believe that we have authority over other churches, at least in their doctrine and practice, right? Um, But we all sit under the chief shepherd. Um, But we still relate to each other. We still have to navigate those types of things. So the Presbyterians are sitting back and being like, ha, 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 we have that figured out. (laughs) <laughs> not yeah, quite they don't have other things figured out though yeah the, even though i love them early start on that water thing <laughs> um so let's let's talk about one of the chief things that we've struggled with and seen and that's the relationship with other churches and respecting the discipline of another church yeah um so by that we mean we have disciplined someone and excommunicated them they have left and they simply go down the street join another church actually join as members that church doesn't investigate or even worse uh, which we've seen they know the whole story from us and they still accept them as members mm-hmm. that I or think, at least they perceive they know the whole story they they, they, they think they know the whole story <laughs> yes. they presume upon a lot yes yes so I have things to say about that, and we can dive into that a little bit more another time. But inside of that is the whole binding and loosing component that has to be dealt with. And Grudem lays it out this way, because if if this is our our common text, (laughs) as it were, for Reformed churches, um, he says this. He says, thus Jesus is teaching that church discipline, first of all, I'm going to have myself, He's saying this as an encouragement to pursue church discipline. It's meant to be an encouragement. Mm-hmm. What is incumbent upon this and very obvious is the weightiness that it has and should be handled by other churches. So let me say that. So thus, Jesus is teaching that church discipline will have heavenly sanction. But it is not as if the church must wait for God to endorse its actions after the actions have occurred. Rather, whenever the church enacts discipline, it can be confident that God has already begun the process spiritually. Mm. That's good. Mm -hmm. Whenever it releases from discipline, forgives the sinner, and restores personal relationships, the church can be confident that God has already begun the restoration spiritually. 
In this way, Jesus promises that the spiritual relationship between God and the person subject to discipline will be immediately affected in ways consistent with the direction of the church's disciplinary action. Legitimate church discipline, therefore, involves the awesome certainty that corresponding heavenly discipline has already begun. Mm-hmm. So he, he means it as an encouragement. Like, hey, we don't have to lead the charge. We're simply reflecting what God's already doing. Yeah. Um, and our binding is his binding because yeah. he did it first. But, the, man, incumbent, so, so other church, <laughs> you're flying in the face of what's already happening in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're denying that heavenly reality. Mm-hmm. Which, which, which at its core show. means you don't care about it. Yes. You, yeah. you do not care about God's standard. You care about your standard mm-hmm. because you have a high estimation of yourself. So it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter as long as you deem it okay. Mm-hmm. Then it's okay. Which I would say for the person who, who pulls up stake, you know, because they've been disciplined here and goes and, is joined to another church they're not a genuine covenant member god does not not honor that they're they're not your member they're still my member they can't be right they can't be that no they're they're a disciplined under disciplined member of my church Mm -hmm. they're not a member of your church yes Mm -hmm. right yep Uh, and again it's because people don't understand covenant it's it's like bigamy. yeah exactly wherever you want to however you want to frame this Uh, but that's the reality Mm-hmm. And and what a church does in that is it takes away the teeth of church discipline, mm-hmm. right? And and they're also not doing themselves any favors there either. No, that's what bothers me a lot, and I Be- hate this because why? The same thing's going to happen. The same things going to happen there. They're just cultivating gardens of bitterness. No, it might manifest yeah. itself yeah. in some other way, but it's it's going to happen there too. Cultivating garden. That's a that's a great phrase. Yeah, you know, I do. I, I was thinking about this. And this whole whole idea of uh, one church respecting another church and their discipline. To my knowledge, have we ever received someone here, like not received, but even had someone come in our doors that was under church discipline from another church? I don't think so. Because I, I, I don't, don't, I'm like searching, scratching so. my head. And I'm going, I'm like, hmm. And I'm like, here's where my thoughts are. I'm glad we have that kind of reputation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you don't stand a chance here. We're not going to be your mistress. No, no that's right. <laughs> no, that's, that's right. what's happening. Like, yeah, they just—they're not calling it what it is. And what blows my mind in this is that every time we have this conversation with another church—not not every time, almost every time—we <laughs> have this conversation with another church, the conversation turns into how we handled the process versus whatever sin that person might even be under the radar for. Right, it's yeah. never actually about what the sin issue that we're trying to get after is. It always becomes about how we did the process, and if they can find some flaw or misstep that they perceive that we did, then that writes the whole thing off, mm-hmm. and which never is, actually deal with the whole instigating issue. Mm-hmm. Which is the culture's playbook right now. Oh, which yeah. I was going to say that's the, the same culture's thing. playbook because again, it's not law versus grace; it's God's law or man's law. And so if we don't want to talk about God's law and how this person transgressed God's law, uh, because they know in that conversation they're going to fail. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we hold up some other kind of law and use that to judge by, because that we can manipulate and and uh, shape it and shift it in a way that's convenient for our agenda. Yeah, we're the power ones and they're the oppressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The victim. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the the next thing I, I throw on this list here, too, is, you know, the idea of respecting other churches, even when someone just transfers, mm-hmm. even if it's a, a, a goofy reason or a legitimate reason, but to to not call the congregation and the elders that the sheep came from uh, says that you don't respect um, that other church and you don't respect what we just talked about and you think really highly of yourself as well Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that you can somehow ascertain and know all the facts and pick up where this person left off shepherding wise and which again is just in one two three meetings with them when the other church has uh, three four five six years with them <laughs> yeah yeah I, you know we're sending a person to uh, to DC uh, currently to uh, for a job transfer um, and 
I had a phone conversation with their with a potential church that they're visiting and and just said, hey, when when the time comes, if they want to pursue membership there, we're going to set up another conversation. I'm going to uh, just pass on the pastoral baton to you mm-hmm. um, and meaning like I'm going to share like just some insights that, that hopefully help you pick up where we left off at for this person's good. Yeah, for real. <clears throat> yeah, and, I had a conversation like that about three months ago. Yeah. With a family that moved to Albuquerque, yeah. Yeah, and I just think what arrogance it is to think you can just pick up on this person's life pastorally without having any conversation with previous shepherds. Like, well, and, that's and just insane. Those two situations that you bring up, too, are perfect examples of how easy it is to leave and go to another church. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Like, hey, will you send me? Can 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 you help me transfer well? Mm-hmm. Like, it's that easy. Yeah. yeah. Of course, there's no instigating sin for those people. Yeah. But so, still. So a person, let's say a person does walk in here and they're under discipline and we find that out through, you know, our process of membership or whatever. What's your, uh, what's your word to them? I know what mine is. What's your word to them? Uh, our general practice is to send them back to their church and make things right. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go back. Go back and make things right, and you're welcome to come here if that's where the Lord leads you. Mm-hmm. That's a whole. There might not be restoration stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, but, but we're going to work with that church. We're going to work with that church. And, and let me just say too, like I've been in situations where, you know, somebody has said, "Well, I'm under discipline," um, or or not even discipline, like, but there was some stuff that needed to be dealt with, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Um, wasn't even formal discipline, but it just needed to be dealt with. Um, and so in the spirit of striving for unity, we've had conversations and, and, and it, hearing the story, um, and, uh, and observing that church being like, maybe there's some truth to what this person is saying. I'm still going to send them back to those say, elders. Matt asked earlier if we've had people under discipline come. We haven't that no. I can think of. We have had people who left kind of poorly. Yeah. yeah. I'm still going to have Which them go back and work through that. About. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah exactly. And my point here is. I might have a fairly um, good estimation of uh, the spiritual maturity of that group of elders or that church or, you know, whatever, but I'm still not going to just uh, take Whole, the word wholesale. The, wholesale of the person <laughs> that's sitting in front of me. I mean, be like, they've spent X amount of time with you. Yeah. I don't know you, mm-hmm. you know, and even so, I'm not going to go on my lived experience with you <laughs> and what you say uh, the experience is I'm going to work through the, the means by which God has ordained. Mm-hmm. Right, which yeah. always is the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, it, that's because the other thing when people with churches dismiss another church's authority on the matter is denying Acts twenty twenty eight. Right, mm-hmm. that all elders have been made elders. I believe this of all the other churches that I even struggle with sometimes. The Lord is the one who makes those elders elders. It's yeah. by the Spirit, and so my respecting of them is my respecting of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. But all you have to say now, Russ, is the i was abused or there was no real justice there's a cult or, or there's a cult and those are like matt you said just a minute ago that's the the spirit of the age right now you won't believe it but that church they drink blood and they eat flesh <laughs> right they're cannibals oh. oh my goodness they abuse yeah. their women yeah <laughs> so on and so forth so when we talk about historical biblical christianity before we're not the first ones that had to tackle this stuff Mm-mm. That's right. So That's right. our job is to be faithful. As we respect the word, we respect our people. And as we respect our people, we respect our Lord. Yeah. And so we want to love them well. We want to take care of them, shepherd them well. So we hope that this has cleared the air a little bit. It should set you at ease. This uh, we should not be concerned about this discipline. It should be an aspect of our regular discipleship. You should be concerned about a church that is unwilling to discipline you. Absolutely. 100%. Because it's not a real church. It, it isn't or it won't be. One of the two is yeah. coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So stay out of the gardens of bitterness and uh, and walk in faith. So we hope that this has been super helpful. And we want to encourage you to go know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. We'll see you next time at the table. Oh, wait, Jeff. Hmm. I need a hymn. I was just going to say, remember, my dad can kick you out of church. Oh, I like that. <laughs> you need to write that hymn. I do. Yes. <laughs> we'll make them up for a second. See you guys.